Alrighty. Revelation isn't a walk in the park. So if you just kind of sit with me, walk with me, we'll, we'll get there. Um, what I'm hoping. By the end of the sermon, you won't go away with a calendar and a highlighter and be able to start your official countdown, you know, in, in, a, in an advent calendar of the end times. Um, that's not the goal of the sermon. If that's what you were hoping for, I, I just want to let you know from the start, I will bitterly disappoint you. You, you will not end up with a timeline. Um, it doesn't work like that. That's actually, the, that's a whole sermon in itself. Ready? It doesn't work like that. Okay, so there you go. If, you, if that's all you remember, you've, you've, made, you've made advancements in the regards to the book of Revelation. It's not, it doesn't work like that. Um, my hope is that you go away with a sense of hope, a sense that Revelation is good news. Uh, Revelation is exciting. Uh, since that God is in control, that, that's what we were singing about. Um, no other, I can't even remember the lyrics now, but um, I was like, that's a perfect Revelation song, but now it's not in my head anymore. Uh, a sense of peace as you navigate the complexities of life. He's the King of Kings, He's the Lord of Lords, He's the name above all names. Peace because Jesus is the King and His kingdom will prevail. All right, we'll end up in Revelation 13. If you've got your Bible, which I know you all do because you have a phone um, and you used it to sign in. So you can go to Revelation 13 if you want. But the book of Revelation uh, or the Apocalypse of John. Uh, apocalypse. Uh, often when people hear Apocalypse, they think explosion. Um, apocalypse just means to unveil or to reveal or to bring to light that which was in darkness, or to bring to light that which was hidden or, or, or was not quite, you know, visible. So when, when it, it's a better title in English, Revelation, because then we don't think of bombs. But it's the apocalypse of John, and then if you start thinking about bombs, again, you've already gone down the, the wrong path. The book of Revelation is a, it's an unveiling of earthly realities from a heavenly perspective. Uh, we won't open this can, but one commentator talks about uh, the Gospel of John, being John writing the Gospel from an earthly, standing at the foot of the cross, writes the Gospel of John from the perspective of standing at the foot of the cross from an earthly perspective. And then the book of Revelation, Revelation is written by John, standing at the foot of the cross from a heavenly perspective, a heavenly revelation of what is going on. And that's a really big can to open of amazing beauty and wonder and stuff that I'm thinking about lots but that's awesome uh, but it just means an unveiling to reveal it's to do with a it's to do with a heavenly perspective uh, and it's apocalyptic one of the things with apocalyptic literature is that it uses unusual imagery to help you to see something in a different light help you to see something from a different angle you can't just read the book of Revelation and go, oh, that's the cross. I got it. Yeah, no, it sh- you have to pay attention. You have to slow down. Why, is he, why are they using this imagery? What does that mean? What's that kind of coming from? Um, the Matrix gets talked about a lot. But in one sense, the movie The Matrix is an apocalyptic movie in that it uses bizarre imagery to reveal something, to get you to look at something from a different perspective. Are you just plugged into the machine, going along with the flow in your life? Do you even know what's happening? You know, The Matrix is this movie that causes you to kind of like, I haven't thought about it like that. It kind of wakes you up to look at it from a different angle. Um, The Revelation of John is sent as, um, it's one letter that's sent to seven churches. So there's a little hint there. It's written to particular people at a particular time for a particular reason. Um, so when they got the, this revelation from John and they're reading it, they're like, whoa, that's amazing. We need to really pay attention to that. That's outstanding. They didn't look at it and go, that's weird. No idea what's happening there. 
maybe in 2,000 years that'll be something. So let's put that in the Bible and make sure that that lasts the distance kind of thing. If, if you looked at it and it made no sense, it wouldn't have made it into the canon. It wouldn't have lasted the distance. They're looking at it going, that, that, there's something that stood out to them that was of great comfort and encouragement and, and challenge that they wanted to kind of pay attention to it. Uh, <coughs> it's just a cough, particularly throat. You're right. Uh, render people, particular people facing particular issues. Uh, two types of Christians, really. Written to Christians in uh, two different types of Christians, calling them both to faithful witness. To faithful witnesses, to live faithful to Christ, who is the great faithful witness to God. To, to live in a manner that is faithful unto Jesus. And there's two types. There's those that are being persecuted. Under the Roman Empire, there's these Christians that are being persecuted under the Roman Empire, and it feels like it's all over. It's lost. Rome's going to win. The the might of the military army of Rome. And Revelation comes and says, "No, no, no, no. Stay strong. Stay faithful. Live faithful." Those of you that are being persecuted, and then there's a bunch of other Christians who are kind of in in compromise or in in um, allegiances, and that's not the right word. In cohorts with the Roman Empire. They've found a way to kind of partner with the Roman Empire. And Revelation comes to them and says, no, 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 don't compromise. Don't sell out. Don't, don't go that way. You've got to remain a faithful witness. And you can kind of imagine Christians in both of those camps persecuted and being called to remain faithful. Compromised, but being called to remain faithful under the Roman uh, Empire. Um, both have been called to be faithful witnesses, to embrace the lordship of Jesus. To embrace the eternal kingdom of God while rejecting the lordship of Caesar, uh, the empire of Rome and the, the cult of emperor worship that comes along with the empire of Rome. The empire of Rome is not just a form of governance. Uh, it's a totalitarian empire. It's religious in the sense that you're to worship the Caesar, to, to pay honor to the Caesar, to give tribute to the Caesar as the Caesars were known as sons of the gods or a son of God, and you were to worship the Caesar. So there's a lot going on there. And John's like, no, 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 you remain faithful. Pay attention. Uh, don't, don't, don't compromise like that. The promise of Revelation is that faithfulness will be rewarded. Justice will be given to those that are oppressed. The oppressors will ultimately be judged. God's kingdom will come, his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You get to Revelation 21 and 22. It's this kind of summing up of history where all is put right, all is restored, all is mended, all is brought back together. Stay faithful unto Jesus. Now, those who are faithful to Jesus will, uh, in the restoration of all things, be restored to that priestly role of image bearers they were created to be, faithful representatives of God, faithful worshippers of God. There'll be no more tears. Heaven and earth will be reunited. The dwelling place of God will be with humankind. Uh, that's kind of 20, 21, 22. 1 through 5 is kind of specific instructions to these seven different churches in this region of Asia. And then 6 through to 19 is all this fantastical imagery about a beast and a little beast and a big beast and horns and crowns and all sorts of things. And uh, we'll unpack a little bit of that. Ultimately a reference to the uh, Roman Empire. It's about the nature of evil empires in contrast with the good and just eternal kingdom of God. A city whose gates will never be shut. And uh, as Revelation unfolds, the message is essentially don't, essentially, don't worry, God's judgment will come. Faith, hope, love will prevail. Resurrection, life, renewed creation is right around the corner. The prayers of the righteous will be heard. The Roman Empire will not have the final word. 
No empire, no empire that exalts itself against the knowledge of God will have the final word. All will be set right under Christ. It's in that way that Revelation is a commentary on the Roman Empire and the kingdom of God, but can serve as a commentary on all empires and the kingdom of God. So we want to pay attention to that. All right. Revelation uses all sorts of fantastic imagery. Uh, most of it's plucked from the Old Testament. Revelation uses more references to the Old Testament than pretty much any other new book in the New Testament um, to unveil or to reveal truth in the face of the might of the Roman Empire. So in Revelation 6, we read about seals being broken, uh, judgment being poured out. It's this famous, the four horsemen of the apocalypse. And uh, I don't have time, but I had quotes from Iron Maiden. I've, I do have one quote from Metallica, but it's popular. The, the four horsemen of the uh, apocalypse. Uh, with one of them riding a white horse with a bow and arrow. It is in a timeline of future events. It's an announcement that the Christian, it's announcement to the Christians that Christian oppressors, the Roman Empire, is ultimately destined to pass away. So you got four seals, four, not, not seals, okay, not, not like, you know, not animal seals, seals on scrolls. You got four seals, it's like, just, I just read that, I was like, okay, fantastic imagery, it's not seals with a, that would get way too confusing. Seals on a scroll, four horses, four riders, four different types of judgment and consequences. They are a symbolic literary uh, feature. They're taken from Zechariah chapter, chapter 1, likened to these four different colored horses that patrol on the Lord's behalf. Uh, Metallica sing about it in their song, The Four Horsemen. Uh, I won't sing it. Uh, horsemen are drawing near on their leather steeds they ride. They come to take your life. It's encouraging. On through the dead of night with the four horsemen ride or choose your fate and die. Again, we'll probably sing it next week. Uh, <laughs> pestilence for what you have to endure and what, you, and what you have put others through. Death, deliverance for you for sure. Now there's nothing you can do. And, and on it goes. Uh, I'm pretty sure that's what scripture and song is. I haven't done a lot on worship. I think that's scripture and song. But uh, Metallica, Metallica sing about that. I'm not sure what Metallica thought they were singing about. I don't know, but it was awesome. I'm not sure what the head-banging, black jeans-swimming, bourbon-drinking fans thought they were singing about. Uh, I don't know. I can't get into the headspace to... I mean, I can appreciate Metallica's a pretty awesome band, but they're not my favourite. But I don't know what they were thinking at the concert when they're singing this song. It's like, yeah, that's right. I mean, is it? Is that right? What, what are you... What's... Why? What's going on in your head? But anyway, they sing that anyway. Uh, essentially, this is what they're singing about. Uh, Revelation uses this imagery. Four riders on colored horses bringing destruction to underscore the point that eventually the Roman Empire will collapse. Ah, come on! Uh, eventually the Roman Empire will collapse. Uh, there was the Parthians. They were an unconquered people and a major threat to the Roman Empire. They had archer warriors who rode white horses. Uh, they were the only mounted not mounted cavalry, but mounted archers in this kind of first century context. They ride these white horses, they shoot bow and arrows. That empire is a threat to Rome. They're right on the borders kind of thing. There could be something, you know, tying those ideas together. Um, and so those kind of horses would have, been, the white horse would have instilled fear in the Roman Empire. Uh, the point is that the empire will ultimately fail. Uh, but not necessarily to the Parthians on their white horses with bows and arrows. It's not trying to, it's not trying to say that is definitely what's going to happen. It's going to say, look, enemies will come and, and empires will crumble. It's the kingdom of God that will ultimately prevail. Uh, because all empires are destined to fail and it's only the kingdom of God that will last forever. 
Four seals, four judgments on Rome. Invasion, conquest, famine, pestilence, plague, death, all, all these things. Uh, they're all realities of what comes with first century warfare. When empires conquer empires in the first century, there's these battlefields that are left with bodies everywhere. What's the result? The result is invasion, conquest, famine, pestilence, death. All, all these realities. And if you've ever watched some sort of historic kind of movie, you understand that and you see these things in movies like Braveheart or The Patriot or the one with Russell Crowe, Gladiator. These, these, kinds of, these kinds of things. These are realities in a first century world. So anyway, good on Metallica. Hallelujah. They, they did a job. Good job. So there's all of this kind of imagery and you've got to go slow to unpack it and, and look at what is happening. But we'll go to Revelation chapter 13. I think I've got up, up on the screen now. Revelation 13. Alright, if you want to go back to Revelation on that church app, there's the whole sermon series from 2013. But the dragon stood on the shore of the sea. The dragon's a picture of the devil, or of ultimate evil that exists behind all evil. And I saw a beast coming out of the sea. It had ten horns and seven heads, with ten crowns on its horns, and on each head a blasphemous name. The beast I saw resembled a leopard, but had feet of those of a bear and a mouth like that of a lion. The dragon gave the beast his power and his throne and great authority. Okay, so here in Revelation chapter 13, uh, John ends up seeing this vision similar to that which Daniel saw in Daniel chapter, uh, Daniel chapter 7. Daniel sees four beasts, like a lion, one like a lion, one like a bear, one like a leopard, and the fourth that was more terrifying than all of the others. Uh, when you unpack the book of Daniel, these, these beasts represent four successive empires that, that Israel had to deal with. Um, the Babylonian Empire, the Median Empire, the Persian Empire, and then Alexander's Macedonian Empire, or Greek Empire, which was the most terrifying of them all. In John's vision, these beasts are combined together. There's a, this idea of this conglomerate of beasts. This is like this Roman Empire. It's not just like those. It's all of those together kind of thing it's worse and it's more and it's beyond and it comes out of the sea uh, the sea is that you know throughout the book of the bible the sea represents um, that place of chaos and and death seven heads represent seven successive emperors uh, rome's built on seven hills um, there's this kind of you know there's this imagery going on ten horns represent similar uh, regional rome's divided up into regions there's these different regions that have power on behalf of the the emperor to govern and control asia minor is one of those regions uh, they've given authority from the larger beast that is the empire uh, the beast is a symbol that embodies evil empire the beast in the book of Revelation is a symbol of that which embodies evil empire. It comes out of the sea. It comes out of that place of chaos and death. Uh, one of the heads of the beast seemed to have a, had a fatal wound, but the fatal wound had been healed. Commentators think that's Nero. And Nero did end up dying of his fatal wound, but it wasn't the end of the Roman Empire. It was like, it's like it, it got healed and it passed on to the next Domitian, I think. But it, it, it carried on and it kept going. It wasn't the end of the evil empire. The whole world, whole world was filled with wonder and followed the beast and its military might. Uh, you've heard me talk lots of times about the Pax Romana. The Pax Romana is the peace of Rome. We talk about that God comes to bring peace. God comes to bring shalom, that all would be put right. But the Roman Empire has this thing called the Pax Romana, the peace of Rome. And, and praise be to Caesar, the son of God, the king of kings, the lord of lords, the one that has brought peace on earth. 
This is the propaganda. This is, the, this is what the Roman Empire talks about. Praise be to Caesar, the son of God, who's brought peace on earth. Well, what he brought is called the Pax Romana. It's the peace of Rome. And what it is is that everything's really peaceful until somebody pushes back and then they get their head chopped off. And then we have peace again. Uh, so if you ever wondered, that's not the shalom that Jesus is looking to bring. Those are not the, the same things. Uh, but, you know, everyone uh, is filled with wonder and follows the beast and its military might. Rome, R- Rome was established on the back of the army, on the back of the military might. That was the thing that caused the Roman Empire to expand. It wasn't uh, a bunch of like amazing ideas of how we could organize ourselves as a political you know, group and you know, make sure everyone gets food and we have better roads and how can we distribute you know, sanitized water to all of the families. You know, none of the Caesars did a speech about that and everyone goes, yeah, that's great, we'll all sign up to be... What happened was the legions would line up at, the, you know, at your territory with their swords and shields and go, you want to be a part of the Roman Empire? No. All right, chop their heads off. Well, you want to be a part of the Roman Empire? Yes. And, you know, it, it rode on the back of its military might. Um, people worshipped the dragon because it had, given, it had been given authority to the beast. And they also worshipped the beast and said, who is like the beast? Who can wage war against it? Probably a little triggers there. Worship and the question, who is like the beast who can wage the war against it, is a parody of faithful worship. Psalm 86, who is like our God? There is no other. You've got this, this propaganda that rolls around with Rome. Who is, who is like, the, oh, with this, this vision, who is like the beast? Who can wage war against it? It's this parody of faithful worship. Now, the beast goes about doing what the beast does. An empire that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. But like every empire, the point of, of Revelation is that it has an allotted time. It will not last forever. Uh, verse 11. John sees a second beast. Second beast. The smaller beast comes out of the water. This beast represents the cult of the empire. Uh, the imperial religion, the pro- propaganda that props up the war machine. And the myths of the wonder of the empire. Every empire has... Propaganda. Every empire has myths that prop up the narrative, the story. It um, doesn't even matter if it's a church that's become kind of an empire. Some churches can kind of become empires unto themselves. There'll be propaganda that props that up. Most common are things like, um, we all have these little lives, but if we're a part of this church, we're a part of something way bigger than ourselves, way more important, and you, you definitely want to be a part of that kind of thing. Um, propaganda about the people that are anointed to hear from God on behalf of everybody else. So we better tune into them because no one else. So they're the special people and this is the special thing to be a part of. And thus we should especially give all of our time and money and different things like that. I just know that because I did a doctorate about it. But um, it, it, so it doesn't matter if the empire is like a literal empire, a, a, a totalitarian empire, a church that's become an empire, a family that's become an empire. A business that's become an empire. There's always propaganda. There's always some myth. There's always some story that stops people from going, hang on a minute. I've got some questions. Um, mostly empires say, no, 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 there's no questions. I'll just keep, keep kind of running with it. So the second beast is this propaganda. Uh, the good news of the Caesar, the son of the God, has brought peace on earth, the Pax Romana. And it happens in every empire. Verse 13, the beast does signs and wonders. 
There's numerous historic reports of in the Roman Empire, the priests of the cult of the Roman Empire getting together and organizing signs and wonders. Uh, they'd organize healings or moving statues or fire using, using machines and contraptions and actors. It's this, is this common thing that the Roman Empire would do. You can find, can find resources to that here, there, and everywhere. So it's no surprise to John's audience. Jesus had warned that false prophets would perform false signs in Matthew 24, which is this apocalyptic chapter in the Gospel of Matthew as well. So there's no surprises there. It's like, oh yeah, of course, that's, that's the propaganda machine. False miracles, false prophecies, actors and machines and fire and all sorts of amazing things. <coughs> Just the cough. <coughs> two. Just two. <coughs> Three. Uh, Christians persecuted and killed for not giving divine honours to the emperor. Worship of the beast. Once a year they had to come and they had to, had to pay tribute in a temple and worship the Caesar. And that was something that... Um, both Jewish people and Christian people were not to do, but the Jews worked out a way to compromise and pay a tribute to not do that. But the Christians, they wouldn't do that. They wouldn't come. They wouldn't bow down to the Caesar. They wouldn't say Caesar is Lord. Say, no, no, Jesus, Jesus is Lord. They, they were, and they'd get in trouble for that. Uh, verse 16. It also forced all people, great and small, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on their right hands or on their foreheads, so that they could not buy or sell unless they had the mark, which is the name of the beast or the number of its name. This calls for wisdom. There's a little, that's just touch, I don't know how many words is that, four. This calls for wisdom. Uh, when it comes to the mark of the beast, we could just remember that little bit as well. This calls for wisdom rather than conspiracies and speculation. It calls for wisdom. It doesn't call for conspiracies and speculation. It calls for wisdom is what it calls for. Uh, let the person who has insight... There's no little. There's a trick there, but that's all right. Uh, calculate the number of the beast for its number of. It's the number of man. The number is six, six, six. Just say it's like you can't say Voldemort out loud. You can't say six, six, six out loud. You know, or look in the mirror and say, "Is it Candyman?" Don't do that three times because bees come. It's not. Don't do that. Anyway, all right, six, six, six. Uh, what have we got on the? Is it the next slide? Six, six, six. There you go. Um, 666 is the construction of, he, of a Hebrew, uh, I don't know how to quite say this word, gematria. Uh, it's the practice of assigning numeric value to letters. So in, in the Hebrew world, letters were letters, but they also had numeric values as well. And if you um, put them together, it just adds up to Nero's name. It just adds up to six. It just adds up. Nero just adds up to 666. Uh, Neron Caesar, or in the Hebrew, it's... Non resh vav non. I can't. I didn't do. I did Greek, not Hebrew. But uh, fifty plus two hundred plus six plus fifty plus one hundred plus sixty plus two hundred. It just adds up to six six six. You can Google that. There's nothing. It's you know. It's, there's nothing. It's just that. It just adds up to that. Um, six six six. It's the number of the beast or the number of Nero. Nero is the personification of the Roman Empire. He's the evil leader of this Roman Empire, persecuting. Christians, but the other things they did as well. They'd give so that's his number adds up to six six six, right? So the other thing they do is they would give people nicknames that added up to the number that the name added up to as well. Uh, uh, Nero had a nickname. Um, his nickname was he killed his mother. So that that's a great nickname. Uh, but Nick, he killed his number uh, mother in the same way adds up to six 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 as well. There's these these funny things that they do, and the reason that he had his nickname that was because he was evil, and he and he. Nero killed his mother. Uh, he kicked his pregnant wife to death. Uh, he, he had a whole bunch of other people executed. Nero's not a nice guy. 
Um, he's, he's the evil empire. He's the beast. He's the personification of the beast kind of thing. So that was a cool thing they do. So he killed his mother, adds up to 666 as well. Had countless rivals executed. So, the mark of the beast. Far from being a future conspiracy, it simply speaks of foreheads and hands, which is thoughts and actions that are symbolically marked by allegiance, by loyalty to the beast, to the empire, to Nero, rather than to Christians, uh, to Christ and the kingdom of God. So to be marked on your head or your forehead was to symbolically speak of one whose allegiance is to the empire and to the beast and has compromised and is not being faithful and set their allegiance on God. Um, allegiance on God. Forced to live in allegiance to the beast, to the emperor, uh, is to live a life marked by fidelity to the cult of empire. It's to be marked by the beast. It's the antitype. Of, mar- of the mark of the saints, which if you go to Revelation 7 and Revelation 14, it talks about the saints being marked. The saints having God's name written on their foreheads. Again, this is symbolic. It's not a tattoo of Yahweh or Jesus on your forehead. It's to be marked by a, a, a mind and hands that are unto faithful worship unto God. Uh, servants have got a sealed on their foreheads. Those are the Lamb had the Father's name written on their foreheads. But it's, vision, it's a vision of unusual imagery to reveal something true, not something literal. To reveal something true, not something literal. What is true? What is true is you can be marked by your fidelity and faithfulness to God. That can be the mark of your life. What's that going to be? It's going to be your thoughts and your affections and the work of your hands are dedicated unto the Lord. You can be marked by a worship of the beast, which is to pursue the evil empire, to be in compromise with the empire. John's aware that to refuse to worship the beast, the evil empire of the day, is very likely going to face Christians in a predicament. You're going to be be in a bind. At times that could make it hard hard to buy and sell and trade because you're an outcast person. It can make things difficult. Uh, yet in all things, Christians are not to bow under the persecution of empire, nor to live in compromised coalition. That's what I was trying to say before, coalition. Compromised coalition. Allegiance is to be the, to the way of Jesus, to the kingdom of God. Revelation thirteen eighteen. This calls for wisdom. All right, what might that have to say to us today? Revelation's ultimately about the inevitable downfall of the Roman Empire. And the inevitable victory of the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, the kingdom of God that will prevail, all will be put right, all will be mended and put back together. Uh, It's truth about the kingdom of God. God's dwelling place will be with his people. Every tear will be wiped away. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. It's It's the source of great encouragement to these Christians that are living the midst of this evil empire. Uh, even though the Roman Empire hasn't passed away and the old order of things hasn't passed away, they know that it has its time, that, that God will prevail. Uh, the kingdom of God, even though the old order hasn't passed away for us today, is among us and within us. Here, but it's this here, but not now reality. Now, but not yet reality. Revelation serves as a commentary on all empires across time and in between time. There's evil empires. There's kingdoms that exalt themselves against the knowledge of God. There's the way of Jesus, and sometimes walking the way of the Jesus make, of, of the Jesus walking the way of Jesus makes it hard in the 
culture of the world that we live in. It's like there's, there's a, it, it can get confusing and get complicated. But stay faithful. Keep as the faithful witness to Jesus. Because at the end of the day, all empires will crumble, but the kingdom of God will prevail. The church has lasted far longer than the Roman Empire. If you, if you crunch the maths on that, it's not even close. We're way ahead. Like way ahead of the Roman Empire in terms of how long we've lasted for. Which means, ultimately though, it's a commentary on all empires across time and the in-between times as well, which means that there's always a beast. There's always a beast. There's always propaganda. There's always an antichrist. There's always empires that exalt themselves against the knowledge of God. There's always challenges to our allegiance. There's always the potential to be marked by the beast. There's always the potential to run into trouble for following Jesus. There's always the potential for difficulties. always the potential for catastrophe. Always ending. It's always the end times. It's always the end times. From day one, Christians believed that the return of Christ was an imminent any moment thing. That could be imminent and any moment throughout the last 2,000 years. It's always the end times. Which means it always calls for wisdom. Always calls for wisdom. We shouldn't be so quick to label current events as the end times. Other than to loosely say, it's always the end times. Because there's lots of current events that have come and gone over the last 2,000 years. This is, uh, there's lots of 80s material about dates. And, uh, you know, you know we, might, we, we did that in the last series. We won't open that. But they didn't, they didn't get it right, it turns out. It wasn't 1988 and then 1989. Then 90, and by the time it wasn't 88, 89 or 90, he didn't write a fourth book after that. He just stopped. We, we'll stop. It's always the end times. Shouldn't be quick to label current events end times. Shouldn't be quick to label technology as the mark of the beast. Um, depending on your age of stage, you would remember when credit cards were the mark of the beast because it's taking us to a cashless society and you look in the numbers, some of them have got 666 in them. Those of you that are younger are like, that's just weird. Those of you that are older, it's like, oh, yeah, I remember. I was a late adopter to the credit card because, yeah, you know, I just wasn't sure. Heard some teaching. Not credit cards. Not barcodes. Barcodes was next. I don't even remember barcodes. Yeah, they can scan them and they know what the thing is. Oh, next they'll have drones. It's like, yeah, they do. Um, <clears throat> it's not QR codes. It's not microchips. Uh, it's not PayWave. Different generation, eh? PayWave comes along. Yay, PayWave, that's easy, boom. No, no, none of the like, millennials are like, this could be the mark of the beast. This is like, they've grown a bit. That's good. Um, not vaccines. Not vaccines. Not vaccine passports. The, the, the mark of the beast is to be marked by your devotion to evil empire, to anything that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. It's not a thing, thing. My friend Caleb on the front row, he's awesome. When we did Revelation last time, and in conversations we have, he's like, I understand what you're saying. It makes perfect sense. I've seen the commentaries that you look at. Yep, right, right. I am never getting a chip, no matter what. <laughs> Despite your teaching, I, I, I grew up in a certain genre at a certain time. I ain't ever going there. It's like, all right, okay. <laughs> we shouldn't be so quick to label people as the Antichrist. Um, again, depending on your age or stage, Henry Kissinger, you'd know about that. Uh, Mikhail Gorbachev, Ronald Reagan, uh, Dennis Connor, George Gregan, Ashley Bloomfield, anyone else? <laughs> Shouldn't be so quick to label people as the Antichrist. That's not, that's not, the, that's not, 
calls for wisdom. That's not labeling people the Antichrist. That's not. Don't do that. Shouldn't be so quick to label some left or right wing or centralist political party as the evil empire at the end of the age. Shouldn't be so quick to do that as well. Especially not like in New Zealand with a democratic democracy. <laughs> Those are the same words, I think. But nevertheless, we need wisdom. Nevertheless, we need wisdom. Because somebody may not be the Antichrist, but there can be Antichrist things unfolding. You and I may not be the Antichrist, but every now and then, we do things that are pretty Antichrist. You and I run this empire called the Empire of Self, where we want to make sure it gets ahead and it has all its walls around it, and it's protected and it's going to last to the end of the ages and nothing's going to get in it. And on our most noble days, we're not just building an empire for ourselves, it's for our kids as well. We've got to be careful that suddenly we're not playing the same Antichrist role and empire role in the, in the own organisation of our lives, let alone trying to label that onto public figures or policies or you know it just it just calls for wisdom just calls for wisdom different empires have come and gone that have been antichrist and killed millions and millions of people we pay attention to that revelations of commentary on that for sure revelations of commentary on our own lives as well While socially and politically, we all experience realities that are the antithesis to the way of the kingdom of God. I think I've said this about politics. I don't really like to talk about politics, but I think I've said this about politics. There's a number of different parties. Some of the policies that each party does, I go, that's fantastic. I reckon Jesus would go, that's awesome. And then you turn the page, that's terrible. Jesus would go, that's awful. And, you know, so we're always kind of in a bind. And so th- those are realities. There's there's There's... Socially and politically, we'll experience realities that are the antithesis to the kingdom of God. But certainly there's internal empires that we have to watch and pay attention to. Empires of individualism and consumerism and narcissism and hedonism and self-interest that are far more likely to trip us up, far more likely to take us off course. Have to be careful that we don't live in such a way that we embrace the mark of the beast via our affections and pursuits and of, of patterns of self-interest, self-rule, self-worship that so easily creep into our lives as an idol. Self-interest, self-rule, self-worship. We are all guilty of that. You get enough of that going, we're kind of marked by the beast by our worship of ourselves. It's like, no, I didn't come on a Sunday to hear that. That's just, we all can be guilty of that at times. So we have to be careful not to play the role of Antichrist in our lives, but to keep Christ on the throne. And so while it might always be the end of end times, though, it's always end times. There's always an Antichrist. There's always a beast. There's always propaganda. Those things are real. I'm not trying to say they're not real. We can find them out there. But those are way better things to look for yourself and chat with your mate about rather than to write a blog and send it out to the universe. Just kind of talk about that with your friends. You can find all of that for sure. At the same time, though, we take comfort that there is always a cross. There's always a saviour. There's always a Christ coming back to heal and to restore and to mend and to put things right. Christ will return one day, but Christ also returns every day when we make more space for the rule and the reign of Christ in our lives. 
Christ will come again, but Christ comes again every time I make more space in my life for the rule and reign of Christ. Every time I dethrone self-worship or self-rule or self-interest and allow the interests of Christ and the kingdom of God to prevail, well, Christ comes again in that moment as well. Comes afresh in my life, in our families, in our church. End times always, but also always the second coming of Christ. End times always, yes. The second coming of Christ, yes, always as well. There will be an end time of some sort. There will be the second coming of some sort. But every time Christ comes again, it's acted out in our own life and faith and spirituality. The dad in Timaru lost three beautiful daughters. He waits the resurrection and the return of Christ to set that right. And yet he seems to be experiencing the second coming of Christ in his life in the moment right now with his ability to forgive. He he awaits the fullness of time, yet there seems to be something happening in the moment as well. Life's flipped upside down in Afghanistan. There's this eternal hope that the kingdom of God will ultimately prevail, that empires will crumble and all will be set right and tears will be wiped away. And yet Christ comes again in the persecuted church as people remain faithful and worship and are steadfast in their faith and fidelity to Christ. Christ comes again in that moment as well. You and I navigate in our own complexities in life. Less tragic, perhaps. But at the same time, hurts and heartaches, challenges and chaos, fears and failures that are unique to each of us. The call in all things is to live in faithfulness to Christ. And we have this great hope of the return and the resurrection and the the healing and the final restoration of mending of all things. But we have great hope that Christ can come again in the midst of the here and now as well. Advent, season of Advent coming up soon. Advent is looking forward to the coming of Christ. And we, we think of Mary and Zachariah and Elizabeth and these different ones that looked forward to the coming of Christ. Advent is the looking forward to the coming of Christ in our lives in the here and now today. Advent is the looking forward to the return of Christ at the fullness of time. It's it's all of those waitings and looking forward to and hopings all at once. Revelation 21 verse 6. To the thirsty I'll give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. I will be their God and they will be my people. Well, I look forward to when it's all put back together like that. But I also believe that the Holy Spirit can bring rivers of living water within. That God will be my God and I'll be his people in the here and now of this moment as well. The calendars and the highlighters and things, they're under your seat. You could grab them. They're not there. All right, last verse. Revelation 22, verse 1. Then the angel showed me a river... With the water of life. Our water of life is a picture of the sustaining presence of God. So it's not literal, but it's true. It's not literal, but it's true. Clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. It flowed down this, it's like we don't need to try and paint a picture of it and then be like, hey, that's what heaven's going to look like. like. No, no, we don't need to do that. Just, it's just telling a story. Flowing from the throne of God and the Lamb, it flowed down the center of the main street. On each side of the river grew a tree of life, bearing 12 crops of fruit, with a fresh crop each month. The leaves were used as medicine to heal the nations. It's got nothing to do with COVID, okay? It's, got, it's, not, it's not about COVID. It's about the healing of the cosmos. 
It's about the whole universe being put. It's even creation groans for the, the sons and daughters to rise up, and we wait for the. That's for free. The tickets were free anyway. Uh, no longer will there be a curse upon anything, for the throne of God and of the Lamb will be there, and his servants will worship him, and they will see his face, and his name will be written on their foreheads. It's not eternity we have a tattoo it's not that it's just we're now marked by faithfulness and fidelity to god there's no more struggle in that journey and there will be no night there will be no need for lamps or for the sun for the lord the lord god will shine on them it's not again to do with like darkness and daytime and warnings there's no more darkness there's no more fear of the unknown there's faith hope and love there's peace life and light to all he brings this is why this first century church and under the roman empire reads these letters that come out to them these seven seven churches in in asia philadelphia there's not not Philadelphia, but Philadelphia and Asia Minor. They read these letters and they're like, there's life and light and hope and strength and encouragement and that. And they, they, they pass them on, they write them down and the Bible's put together and go, that's got to be in there. That's the, that's the end bit. It's all put back together. No more tears. It's good news. All right, let's stand together. What this is, is Christian hope, not Christian propaganda. We have this hope that weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes in the morning. Oh man, I wish that sometimes the weeping was just for the night and then joy would be in the morning. I I wish that pain and heartache was a 24-hour thing, or even 12 hours, just the evening, but in the morning you're all good. How do you deal with it? You just go to sleep and you wake up and it's all better. I, I wish that was the case, but that's not the point of the text. It's just saying that there are seasons. That are painful and heartbreaking and difficult and they're chaotic and they crush you and you don't, it doesn't seem to be hope. But we hold on to Jesus and joy comes in the morning. The season turns, turns a corner. We find life and hope. There's a reality that some of those things are, we, we, we set our eyes not in the here and now, but we have to look to this further horizon. We do have to look to this future timeline or time scale. The, the dad in Timaru. His, his hope is now one that looks beyond the realm and the sphere of this age. It looks to the age to come. And some of the things in our lives, we, we look beyond. We look to the age to come. But we still have great comfort that God still has the ability to show up and turn up in the here and now of today. We just need to be careful with running around with the book of Revelation and trying to name and claim and spotlight and point out what this or that or may or may not be. Likely we'll end up looking outwards rather than looking inwards and miss the whole point anyway. So let me pray this morning and then close with the benedic- our benediction. Lord, I lift my brothers and sisters to you this morning. Those that maybe are carrying anxiety, a sense of fear or confusion or bewilderment or just feel a little bit lost in the moment, in the season, in the time that we find ourselves in. It's a disorientating time. Some may have lost jobs or be struggling financially. There could be any number of things going on. There's a lot of noise on the internet. Lord, may this morning may they know peace. May they know your peace that surpasses all understanding. That at the end of the day, you are the King of kings and the Lord of lords. That it's the kingdom of God that will prevail. That ultimately there will be no more tears. 
And Lord, where there's tears at the moment, we don't only look to the future, but we recognize that you have the ability to show up and to turn up and to bring comfort and healing and strength in the here and now. So for those that are needing that, may they know your love, your grace, your mercy, your strength this morning in Jesus' name. And for everyone, as you go this morning, may you go in peace, knowing that the dwelling place of God is among his people. Know that he will wipe away every tear from every eye. Know that there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things will pass away. There is no empire that will prevail. Rather, it is the kingdom of God, the rule of Christ, that will reign eternal. Go this morning as a faithful witness to the faithful witness that is Jesus Christ. And in all things, may the love... Of Christ, the grace of our Lord, uh, the, and may all things, may the love of God, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, and the peace of the Holy Spirit be yours in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.